May God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word God with us and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. So glad that you're here today. I'm the Pastor Matt Blair. And we love, love, love the fact that you showed up today. If you're guest visiting with us, man, thank you for being here. This is huge. Uh, you, you know, you may have come today because your friend or family member uh, told you, you know, you needed to come on Christmas. And so maybe you're here and you're just kind of honoring that request. And maybe you showed up and you thought, you know, I'll give an hour and that seems like a reasonable thing to do. Well, just so you know that I don't think you're here by accident at all. As a matter of fact, as this service continues to unfold, my guess is that you came today for a very specific reason. As a matter of fact, before this is over, I'll tell you a prayer that I prayed last night. And I had you in mind, even though, if I've never met you even, even though um, I may not know your story, I had you in mind as I prayed, and I'll share with you, with you in just a minute about what that looks like. But Merry Christmas, Solace Church. This is really, really cool. I so love, love this time of year. If you're watching online, thanks for being a part of our online community as well today at solacechurch.com. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that seems really odd on like the Sunday, Sunday before Christmas. We're going to play a game. Um, and it's really going to be kind of a, a, just kind of one of those like thinking mind type games. I, I want to just play a little game I, I've made up and it's called true story or made up story. 
All right, so I'm going to give you four different stories, and I need total crowd participation. Again, if you're watching online, I need your participation as well, so you'll need to raise your hand, even if you're in your pajamas right now, okay? So we're going to do this all together. If you don't raise your hand on one of these two options, then I'm going to come find you in your seat and ask you personally before the whole church. So it's just better if you just do it with me, okay? Is that fair? All right. So four stories. You're going to, you're going to raise your hand whether it's a true story or made-up story. All right, here we go. The first story is the story... Of Laura Buxton. Thank you. A young girl named Laura Buxton was at her, gra- her grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary where she released a bunch of balloons into the air. She attached a note to the balloons that asked the person who found it to write back to her. Less than two weeks later, she received a reply. A balloon had been found by another Laura Buxton 150 miles away. They had other similarities, too. The girls were both 10 years old. Also, each had a guinea pig, a rabbit, and a three-year-old black lab dog. All right, here we go. Those of you who believe that's a true story, let me see your hands in the room today. True story? Okay. Those of you who believe that's, a, that's not a true story? Sir, back there, you need to pick one or the other, okay? <clears throat> Just to, okay, gotcha. All right. All right, very good. True story. Thank you very much. How about the story of Bill Morgan? His story actually begins with a series of bad luck. First, he was nearly crushed to death by a freak truck accident at work. The accident was not fatal, but it did leave Bill with a heart condition. When medication was administered for the heart condition, Bill suffered an allergic reaction that caused a powerful heart attack that left him clinically dead for 14 minutes. After being revived by doctors, Morgan slipped into a coma for 12 days, during which his family was advised to unplug his life support twice. His luck began to change when he unexpectedly woke up from the coma without any permanent damage. After recovering, the 37-year-old landed a new higher-paying job and proposed to his longtime girlfriend, who accepted A week later, Morgan purchased a scratch-off lottery ticket at his local newsstand. Bill scratched the ticket off and realized he had just won a brand new car. A local news station was so amazed that they sent a crew to do a human interest story on Bill and his lucky streak. The news crew thought it would be fun to recreate Bill's purchasing and scratching off the ticket right on camera. The ticket Bill purchased for the reenactment ended up being... A $250,000 winner, almost causing Bill to have another heart attack. (laughs) All right, true story? Come on. Okay. False, come on. Mm. True. Third story. The story of Robert Fallon. In 1958, Robert Fallon was shot dead, an act of vengeance by those with whom he was playing poker. Side note, Solace Church does not, playing po- does not condone playing poker or shooting people. <laughs> not the point of the story. Fallon, claimed that they, that Fallon, they claimed, had won the $600 pot through cheating. With Fallon's seat empty and none of the other players willing to take the now unlucky $600, they found a new player to take Fallon's place and staked him with the dead man's $600. By the time the police had arrived to investigate the killing, the new player had turned the $600 into $2,200 in winnings. 
The police demanded, however, the original 600 to pass on to Fallon's next of kin. Only to discover that the new player turned out to be Fallon's son, who had not seen his father in seven years. True story, come on. All right, false? Come on. True story. All three of them outrageously, outrageously crazy and weird and absolutely true. Story number four. Story of God. What I'm about to share with you is another one of these stories that a person has to come to terms with. Is this true or is it made up? Did this really happen or is this a story of fantasy? Writers of part of the Bible, specifically of the New Testament, wrote about this story and they each chose to tell it in a little bit of a different way. But it's the story of Jesus. It's the story of God becoming a man. John, who was a follower of Jesus, writes about this story. It is, a, it is an amazing claim that John makes. He writes about this claim, this outlandish and outrageous claim about God. He writes about it in his gospel, John. As a matter of fact, he begins the whole story with this outrageous claim. You can find it in John chapter 1, and I just want to read to you the first 14 verses and just show you a couple of things about the story because it truly is way out there. Verse number one of John chapter one, and this is what John, the follower of Jesus, says, in the beginning was the word. Now church, the word translated word here is the word logos or logos. It's the Greek word logos. It's translated into English word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So notice that the word, Logos, was in the beginning before anything else existed in terms of the natural world, the Logos was. And the Logos was with God. He, he wasn't the father in, this, in, this, in the picture of John here. But he was with the father. But at the very same time, the Logos was God. Have you ever stopped to consider why John chose to use the word, word, in speaking about God? The, the, the word logos is a really interesting Greek word. As a matter of fact, it was used widely in the first century. Um, and it was used across religious and philosophical um, divides. This word was very common in the first century. If you look at all four of what's called the Gospels, the story of Jesus, you'll notice that each of them have a little bit of a different take. For instance, Matthew has this huge desire to, to let the reader know that Jesus was the fulfillment of, of the prophecies in the Old Testament. That's really his emphasis, that he is the king of kings, and he was the one to fulfill the prophecies. Mark skips the birth story entirely. He's way too busy getting to the end of the story. He don't have time for the beginning. He just skips it completely. Luke, on the other hand, is very detailed. As a matter of fact, he says to us in the beginning of the the Gospel of Luke that he wants to write an orderly account, a detailed account, so that you get the people who were in charge, the dates, the times, the places, the situations that were unfolding. 
He wants, you to be in, he wants you to be very informed about the birth of Jesus. John takes a totally different direction. He doesn't, he doesn't leverage what the other gospel writers leverage. He wants to emphasize how incredibly outrageous it is to consider that Logos came to us. Now, to understand how important this would have been in the first century, you have to appreciate what Jews and Greeks thought of the idea of Logos. For instance, the Greeks in the first century, when they heard the word logos or logos, would have thought about this, the source of life or the integrating principle behind the universe. They believed that the idea, the concept of logos, by the way, they would not have imagined that this was a person. It's a concept. It's a philosophical idea. Logos was the source of life. Logos was that thing that held the universe together so that the laws of nature and the the order of the universe was held together by this logos. The Jews, on the other hand, thought about logos or logos this way. The Jews would have said that this is the agent of creation, but an impersonal agent. In other words, if you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formed and voidless, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happened? God said, and then things began to happen. Well, the God said is logos in action. So it's the agent of creation, but not at all a personal, actual being to know. And so for, a, for, for, for a, a Greek listening audience to hear logos, this, this thing that holds everything together, for, for that to actually be personified and take on human form was crazy. And for the Jew, no doubt the same thing. They understood that it's, it's what God used to bring about the, exist, the, the, the known world and universe. But to say that, that this, this was an actual person and to make the claim that logos was God was too much for many of them to accept. But notice what John goes on to say. It's just the first verse, by the way. He's blowing their mind, verse 1. But he doesn't end there. He goes on to make some outrageous claims. Verse number 2, he says, He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, Through him all things were made. That is, all of creation came about through the Logos, the Logos, which ultimately we know is Jesus. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, In him was life. Greek word here is zoe. I'll explain it more in just a couple of minutes in more depth. And the life was the light of men. Verse number five. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. They couldn't comprehend what happened in the fact that the Logos actually impacted their world. Verse number six. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, John is the one that's going to let the world know that the Logos is in the world. John was the forerunner, the one preparing the way. Verse number seven. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. Verse number eight. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse nine. The story goes on to say this. The true light that gives light to every every man was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world and... Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse number 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Logos walked among people, but they didn't recognize him, nor did they receive him. Verse number 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. This is a great part of the story. We're going to get back to it in just a moment. Verse number 13. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. It's a whole different family we're talking about. And then verse number 14, the most outrageous claim that man has ever made. The logos, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. What an incredible opener to, to the gospel. Before John tells a single story about the life of Jesus, before he, before he tells about one miracle, about one teaching, about one, one, um, uh, one event in the life of Jesus, he makes this radical claim that the Logos was God and that God walked the planet. That's a little more outrageous than little Miss Buxton getting uh, her balloon found by another Miss Buxton. You say? Would you agree? A little bigger than that. Little bigger than the guy winning, you know, a car and $250,000 on a lottery. Little bit bigger than that. This is the creator and inventor of the world walking the earth. This is no small deal. So John makes this outrageous claim. And as I said before, it's, it's, it's way too much for a Jew to accept. For the most part, Jews rejected this idea. There's no way Logos could be God. There's no way that Logos walked the earth. And for the Greeks, they struggle with this as well. There's no question about that. I was speaking with an individual not too long ago. He's a friend of mine. He is Jewish. And, and, and this is the words that he said. We could accept that Jesus might have been a Messiah-like person or the Messiah. But to say that he was God, there's no way we can go there with you. It's a powerful statement. You know, I don't know for sure if John fully understood how powerful these first 14 verses really are. Remember, we, we believe, we, we, we state that it wasn't just John's penmanship here, but that, but, but that God had something to do with how John wrote the actual gospel. It's called, it's called inspiration or, or, or led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit breathed. We think that John was writing this under some kind of divine interve- uh, uh, inspiration. And so think about this for a moment. John writes these words, God became a man. But, but, but what you might not have noticed about the first 14 verses, because I'd never seen it before, is that in writing these 14 verses, John actually tells the entire story of humanity. John's purpose is to talk about Jesus when he was here, that people rejected him. But do you know this is actually the whole story of humanity in and of itself? I want to show you this in, in, in the verses. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 1, 3, 4, 12, and 14, you can actually see the whole story from beginning to Jesus. It's incredible to see that. Now, I've done you a favor. I've underlined the words on the screen so that you can see the key words as this story unfolds. So look again at verse 1 with me. Just follow with me what what I think John may have, even in an underlying way, even even meant for the story. Watch what happens in verse number 1 again, right? God, verse number 1, verse number 3, made, verse number 4, life and light. In the beginning, when God spoke the universe into existence, one of the most miraculous things that he ever did was to make inanimate things come to life. For out of the dust of the ground, man was made. He brought non-life to life. It didn't happen by random chance. It happened because God spoke it into existence. And so life 
from non-life now existed on the planet. But God did not just allow life to exist. God shed lights into their lives. No, I'm not talking about physical light. Certainly God made the physical light before he made humanity. I'm saying here that God, when he brought humanity to life, actually gave him the ability to see how things should be. And that's why he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And we would say amen to that, right? That's a good thing, right? Populate the planet. And then then work the fields. Be busy and active. Those are things that you should be doing. And then he says to them, he's bringing light to them. Don't eat that. He brought them to life and shed light on them. That's what God does. That's what a creator does. He brings life and light. But Genesis 3 tells the whole story of humanity. It's why they rejected Jesus in the gospel that we see from John. Genesis 3 tells us our problem. That when God brings us light, we tend to reject the light. We run from it. We run to our own, our own selfish agendas. We want to be God and we don't want God to be God. We, we, we have our own plans. We have our own desires and we run to that. And even though God shines light into darkness, men, we don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. And by no means do we want it. Left to ourselves, we run away from it. That's the whole story. And you know what? From Genesis 3 all the way to John chapter 1, man made a mess of life. I don't know if you're here this morning and you've made a mess of your life ever, if that's ever happened to you. But if you have, just join the chorus of humanity. That's what we are good at doing. Making messes of things. It's the whole story of humanity. And here's the deal. God was left with a very interesting choice. When when humanity rebelled, when he saw the light but ran from the light and hid, when, when God was left with this decision, what did God choose to do? God could have left us in the mess of life, but he chose to do something else. What did he choose to do? He chose to make a way for us to once again be his family. That's why in verse number 12, John says that we can become the children of God. Not born of natural descent, not born in some kind of physical way, but born into a family, born back into the relationship with the creator that man man had before the fall. It's an incredible story. God could have done just the opposite, but he chose to allow us to be adopted again into his family. How did he do it? Verse 14, he came himself and he made his dwelling among us. Now hear me, God could have sent a, sent a representative possibly. He could have sent maybe an ambassador to tell us we've all, you know, we messed things up, but he didn't. God did not send a substitute in the sense of someone else. God himself came to walk the planet and to make a way for us to once again be in a right relationship with him. We can be in his family again. <laughs> I don't know what your family looks like. If it's anything like my family, and I'm a part of it as well, but oftentimes there's a whole lot of dysfunction as a, as, as a part of family. It, just always, it doesn't always work right. <laughs> but the family of God is a family about restoration and forgiveness. It's a very interesting thing that happened when God made his dwelling among us. We had a chance to see his glory. Oh, hear me. When Jesus came and the word became flesh, when Jesus walked among us, we did not get a chance to see the fullness of God's glory because it was wrapped in humanity. It was veiled just a bit. Now, that's not always going to be the case. The good news is, is we will see God in his full glory one day. But when Jesus came, it was wrapped in flesh. Therefore, the glory, the fullness of the glory was, 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 was veiled. But he did give us an image, a picture of the heart of God. What was the heart of God? It was grace and truth. When Jesus came to the earth to walk among us, he could have brought any message that he wanted to bring. He was God in the flesh. What was the message? I did not come to condemn you, but rather to save you. 
He could have come and criticized all of our foolish decisions, and there are plenty. He could have spent his entire time here on this earth pointing out all the dumb things we've done. There's many to point out, but he didn't. He came to offer grace, but not only grace, he offered truth. And this is the greatness of God. God doesn't just come and say, I love you. God comes and says, where are you? Do you know? That's why when the rich young ruler came and said, how can I have life? He said, you're too greedy. Go sell all your stuff. That's why when the woman came and said, I need some water, Jesus said, you don't know which water you need. You need living water. That's why when Zacchaeus climbed the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, you're going to need to get down from there. I'm going to need to go to your house. Because Jesus, when he comes, encounters us where we are. He speaks truth into our current situation and says, I love you in spite of the mess. So God walked among us. Emmanuel, God with us. So that's the story. It's the story John tells in John chapter 1. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take you back to where we started this morning for just a moment. Can I ask you the question? Is that a true story? Or is it made up? really interesting thing is about to happen, and some of you aren't going to like it. Can I prepare you for that? You're not going to like what I'm about to say. Some of you today came to church today because your, your, your daughter, your son, your husband or wife, your neighbor invited you to come. Maybe, someone, maybe it's possible someone's here because you saw my Facebook post. And you say you could be my guest, and so you're here today because you're my guest. I, for whatever reason, you came today. Some of you came today. Hear me. And you came so that you could honor someone else's request of you. And so you thought, I could sit for an hour through anything, right? I mean, maybe the music's a little too loud. Maybe, maybe I don't understand all the words. And maybe that pastor's outfit doesn't make total sense. I mean, I'll just endure it, and I'll get through it, and that's fine. And I'll go, go about my merry way, and, you know, you know, things will be just like back to normal after that hour I spend at that church. Maybe you came, and that's what you thought you were going to do today. But here's the problem. You can't just dismiss a story like this. It's not possible to dismiss this kind of claim so easily. See, either it is true, and if it is true that God walked among us and shone light into our darkness, then we must respond to that. If it is true, it is worth giving all of me to, not just some of me. If it is not true, you showed up today and you wasted an hour of your life. And quite honestly, hear me, if the story of Jesus is not true, when someone else asks you to come to church, you can just say, sorry, I don't believe it. That would be actually more, more intellectually uh, honest. I mean, I just, I'm not, I just, just dismiss it. So I know, I know you don't like, you don't like when there's just two options, nor do I. I like the third option. I'd rather just ignore it. But you can't. If it's true and you're here today and you've never responded to that in terms of accepting that reality, hear me. I'm going to ask you to do something so crazy on this day that you never thought that you would do. I'm going to ask you to take this huge, giant leap of faith. Because if it is true, it is life-changing. For if God did not come to condemn us but to forgive us, 
then our response should be to welcome that forgiveness. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes?